Thank you, Bill. Good morning to everybody. It is great to be here today together. And what a blessing we have to be able to come and do so with freedom and be able to worship God openly. If you're visiting with us today, we're so thankful that you're here. And our prayer is that you will be encouraged and strengthened in God's word and thereby strengthened in your faith because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. Also, we, we hope that you will want to come back and be with us every time you have the opportunity. If you're in this area, especially, now if you're traveling, come back and see us the next time you're in town and let this kind of be your home away from home. Before we get into the lesson this morning, I want to kind of prepare you. I wrote a book, an article that details what I'm going to be doing for some time after today in my lessons on Sunday morning. I'm going to be doing a series, and we may break that up here and there along the way and bring in some other lessons, but I'm going to be doing a series that I've entitled Basic Bible Teachings. And pretty much every sermon during that series, and it is quite extensive, covers one particular basic Bible teaching. We'll begin with God next time. And uh, that'll kick off the series. But every lesson, almost every one, there's, there's a couple of different ones that I go into some details about and, and let, you know, kind of blend that over a few lessons, but covering one particular basic Bible teaching that all people really need to understand, and especially members of the Lord's church. So keep me in your prayers as I continue to work on those lessons. I wrote the series many years ago, and when I first presented that series, the response blew me away. It literally blew me away. I, I thought I was just bringing basic teachings from God's word, but people were so hungry for that kind of, of, of instruction that at that time we did CDs and gave away CDs and we did not post on the internet and did not do podcasting. And I cannot, I, I don't even know how many thousands of copies that we gave away. And even people visiting, traveling, as they were traveling from one part of the country to another, when they would stop in and worship with us, they'd ask for a copy of that lesson. In some, and in some cases, they'd say, can I have the whole set when you're done? And so we, we did that over and over again. Then four years later, I did the series again. And I thought, well, OK, we just did this about four years ago. The response was so overwhelming. But, but now, since we did that four years ago, it might not really be you know, such that it would, it would evoke the same response. The response was exactly the same, pretty much. So 15 years later, I'm ready to do that series again. When we look at the congregation, we look at how many people have, have transferred to other parts of the country, others have transferred in, how many have been baptized, and so on. I, I believe it's time for us to refresh along that line. So keep me in your prayers, and I do pray that these will be just as effective as they were the last two times, although the last time was 15 years ago. Keep me in your prayers, please. This is the second part today of a two-part sermon or lesson that I began last week asking the basic question, are we there yet? 
Now, how many times do we travel along the highways? Maybe we're driving 400, 500, 600, 700, 800 miles. I've actually driven farther than that at one time or close to one time. How many times do we think, boy, how much farther? Are we there? And then if we have little children, they're asking, are we there yet? Uh, I, I remember last year about this time, my wife and I flew to Hawaii for our anniversary and I have, both of us have flown many times, but never for five hours over the ocean, just open water there. And you talk about a challenge to just sit there for five hours, basically, and see nothing but water below you. That was something. Are we there yet? How much longer? Then I look at my watch and say, oh, we got three more hours to go. You know, and just that kind of thing. So how many times do we wonder, are we there yet? Well, as, as Robert brought out a moment ago, if we don't get to heaven, then our life is an utter failure. It doesn't matter what we think are good accomplishments we've achieved along the way. If we don't get to heaven, we failed in life. Nothing in this life matters if we don't get to heaven. We're not going to take anything with us except our soul. And so getting to heaven is, bottom line, our top priority, or it should be. It should be. There will be only two alternatives on the final day of judgment. And none of us will skip that day. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and receive the things done in the body, whether good or bad. There will be no absences that day. There will be nobody who will not be paying attention that day. And there will be nobody who will not be hoping, wishing for the ultimate final pronouncement, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of your Lord. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 7 verses 13 and 14, that most people will not hear that pronouncement on that final day. He said most people are going the wrong direction. They're going down this eight-lane highway of, in their mind, they've erased all rules, they've erased all guidelines, they want to do whatever they want to do, they're living in sin. And so he said eternal condemnation will be their result. There will be only two alternatives on that day, saved or lost, heaven or hell. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 31, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, that'll be the final day of judgment, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And this again is descriptive language of that final day of judgment. There will be no opting out on that day. We will all be there every single one of us. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. We understand the difference between the two in the intimation of the description, don't we? We want to be among the sheep, the saved, among his flock. We don't want to be among the goats we want to be among the saved. 
in, Revela uh, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The Apostle Paul said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Both of those texts of scripture depict for us the only two alternatives. Either we're going to be among the sheep, the saved, or we're going to be among the goats, the lost. We're either going to be experiencing the wages of our sin that we have not repented of and sought forgiveness for by being baptized into Christ and live that obedient life before him for the rest of our lives. And that'll be death, eternal condemnation, or we will experience eternal life with him in heaven. Either or, one or the other, there is no other alternative. God sent Christ into this world as our savior to call mankind, all mankind, lost in sin without him to salvation. In John chapter three, beginning with verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Two different words saying the same thing, eternal life, everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came for one purpose, and that was to save souls as the Savior. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, John the Apostle wrote, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son, Jesus, his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Jesus said himself in Luke 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. And ultimately he knew that that, that mission would culminate in his dying on that cross and then being resurrected from that grave. He knew that when he, before he ever set foot, well, before he was ever born physically upon this earth. Jesus came as our Savior. He was offered on that cross as the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. And as animal sacrifices were common in the various cultures, at least many of them around the world in that day, they would understand what a, what a death sacrifice was about. He would knew he would go to that cross. He was offered as that perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 2 and verse 9, we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And then we go further in Hebrews, the Hebrews letter, chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ was offered once for the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And then chapter 10 and verse 10 again. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Have you ever thought about that reality? As Jesus hung on that cross and held to that cross by nails in his hands and in his feet. Have you ever thought about him hanging on that cross, nailed to that cross in that way as the sacrifice 
dying slowly, gradually, agonizingly on that cross. All of those hours hanging there to pay the price for the guilt of your sins, to be the ultimate sacrifice for your guilt. That's what he did. That's what he did. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, that gospel message that Jesus brought from heaven, that message of forgiveness, redemption, and salvation through him. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus told the apostles after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, as he was ready to ascend back to heaven, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. The gospel that he brought from heaven, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. In a very succinct form, that message embodies what Jesus did for us in coming to this earth as our Savior. When we obey the gospel, we can be assured of a home in heaven. 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 11. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And the understanding of belief there is not just an intellectual understanding and agreement, but it is belief put into action through obedience and a lifetime of dedication and commitment and service. That's what real saving faith is. When we obey the gospel, we can be assured of eternal home, an eternal home in heaven. Now, are we there yet? Well, if we've been forgiven of our, of our sins and saved as we're baptized into Christ, then we're assured of that home in heaven as long as we live the faithful life before Jesus for the rest of our physical lives on this earth. But, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You've taken that trip across country, hundreds and hundreds of miles. You've gone hundreds and hundreds of miles. You've either driven or you've ridden in one of the other seats. Are we there yet? Not yet. We're not quite there. We've got another 150 miles to go. Flying across the ocean for five hours. Are we there yet? No, we've got another two hours to go. How many times have we asked the question in relation to a physical trip of one kind or another? We're not there yet. We're still on our way. If we've been forgiven of our sins as we're baptized into Christ, we're on our way. And as long as we live that faithful, obedient life to him on a consistent basis, we're on our way to heaven. We're assured of that heavenly hope. But... We're not there yet in actuality. We're not there yet. 
Obviously, while still in this physical body, in this physical world, we're not there yet because that is a place of eternal life. And if you read through that, that treatise on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, when the Lord comes again, even those who are still physically alive in this earth, who are ready for his coming, who are faithful and obedient to him, he said, these physical bodies aren't what's going to go meet him in the air. He said, we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And this mortal will have put on immortality. We'll be given a new body, a spiritual body. We'll be like him in that sense. But we're not there yet right now. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. Not that I've already attained, Paul said, speaking of himself, or am already perfected, but I press on. I'm still moving on. I'm making progress. I'm on my way. I'm covering the ground, so to speak. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's Paul says, I'm still on my journey. I'm still going. I'm still heading in that direction. I'm looking forward to being there. But he said, I'm not there yet. But I'm still moving in that direction, he says. How about you? Are you moving in that direction? According to the teachings of God's word, are you living by them? Are you obeying them? Are you being faithful to God? Are you moving in the right direction? Paul said, I'm, I'm, I'm still moving, still going in that direction, but I'm not there yet. As members of the Lord's church, think about this. We're registered. Now, again, faithful members of the Lord's church, we're registered in heaven. The, 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 the Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews 12 and verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, registered in heaven. We understand what is the sense of being registered on some, some list or some uh, you know, body of, of identification, registered as a member of such and such social group perhaps, registered as a, as a member of a, of a particular you know, business corporation, registered as a citizen within a particular state or country. We understand that. Our name is down. It identifies us with whatever that, that entity is. We're registered in heaven as faithful Christians, but right now we're still on this earth. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 20, Paul said our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. See again, this physical body is not going to be what's going to be in heaven. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Our citizenship, our ultimate citizenship, the one that, must mean, that should mean the most to us by identity, that citizenship is in heaven, but right now we still live on this earth. 
our hope. Our hope is laid up for us in heaven. But we're still here on this earth right now, living in this world. Colossians 1 and verse 5, because of our hope, because of the hope which is laid up for us in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Our hope laid up for us in heaven, but we're still right here on this earth. Still right here, right now, but we're moving forward. We're on our way. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Look at this, reserved in heaven for you. We have that eternal home as an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. But we understand the concept of inheritance. It may be laid out from a physical perspective in the form of a will, but it's not ours yet in reality. So, but we have an eternal inheritance reserved for us in heaven, but not yet quite in our possession in the most absolute sense because we're still here. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Jesus will come again and he will usher us into eternity in heaven on that final day of judgment. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, as the apostles stood there and watched Jesus ascend through the clouds back to heaven following his resurrection, two angels appeared before them and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And as we read other texts of scripture, we find that that's exactly what we're told. He will come, he will come, the heavens will, depart, will be parted and he will come from heaven on that final day of judgment. And so we have that promise, we have that expectation, but he hasn't come back yet. We're still here. Right now, we still wait for him to come. First Corinthians chapter one, beginning with verse six, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for him to come. We're waiting for him to come and take us to be back home in heaven with him. But we're not there yet. He hasn't come back yet. Even the Lord's Supper points to his coming again as we just partook of it a few moments ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's one of the messages, one of the, the important images that we ought to be communicating to people all around us as we come together in the first day of the week, every Lord's day, to partake of the Lord's supper, we're telling people, we're reminding ourselves, each other, he's coming back. 
He's coming back. Now, yes, we are memorializing his death on the cross, died there for us, that incredible sacrifice on God's part and his part. But we're also telling the world and reminding ourselves and each other he's coming back. But we're still waiting for him. We're not there yet. He told the apostles in John chapter 14, the first six verses, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again so that where I am there, you may be also. That promise he gave on the night before his crucifixion on the cross, that promise was still in effect as the the apostles watched him ascend through the clouds back to heaven. But we're not there yet. He's going to prepare that place for us. He's going to come back and take us to be with him there in heaven for all of eternity. But we're not there yet. We're not quite there yet. On that day, he'll take us to be with him. But that day has not yet come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. The word meaning who have already died physically. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ, those who have already died faithful to Jesus will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. What a great image. What a great promise. How exciting that imagery ought to be to us. We're going to meet the Lord in the air one day. The faithful to him, the obedient to him. But that day has not yet come. We're not there yet. Not there yet. And until that day, we're still here in this mortal body on this physical earth. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Now what he means by corruption and incorruption there is our physical bodies. When we die physically, ultimately our bodies decay away, and that's what he means by corruption. So corruption cannot inherit incorruption. This physical body is not what's going to be in heaven with our Lord. But I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, our physical bodies must put on incorruption. This mortal, our mortal bodies must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. What a great promise. What a great expectation. What a great hope. What a great inheritance is waiting for us, reserved for us in heaven. But we're still here right now. We're not there yet. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 23. You know, the devil is effective to cloud our vision spiritually. 
get us all caught up in and focused on the ways of this world and the fleeting pleasures of worldly living for a period of time. And we need to guard against letting him do that for us individually and personally. Romans chapter 8 verse 23 gives us the better perspective, the more proper perspective. Paul said not only that, but we also have the, the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. In other words, stick-to-itiveness, dogged determination. We're on our way. We're not there yet, but we are moving in that direction, inexorably doing so, continually, consistently, determinedly. We're heading in that to that ultimate des destination. What a blessing for us to be able to have that perspective in our minds continually to continue to strengthen us and encourage us when all kinds of situations confront us on a physical level, an emotional level, by living in this world and what this world does to us and what the devil throws at us. But we keep our focus on that ultimate destination as we keep moving in that direction, eagerly waiting for the redemption of the body. As I said, as I said to the family of Everett Yates this past week, after I went over there when they contacted me and said he passed away just a little while ago, trying to encourage the family, and, and I think they understood perfectly. He's okay now. He's okay now. The dementia was gone. Whatever physical stress he might have been going through, it was over. He was 95 years old. If he had lived to May, he would have been 96. I said, he's not even an old man anymore. See, those are realities of the blessing of being there in heaven. We can look forward to those blessings. But right now, we're not yet there. We groan for the time when we will be with the Lord, when our physical body will be replaced with a spiritual eternal body. And there will be no pain or sickness or aging or dying or tears. But now we're still eagerly waiting for the redemption of our body. We're still living with that promised hope. But in heaven, what, is, what does Paul say? There will be no more hope in heaven because it will become reality. No more hope because we'll be there. We'll be there. And that's where we want to be. While still living in this physical body, we are absent from the Lord in that we are not literally yet there with him in heaven. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, this physical body, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. We want that ultimate spiritual body, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. No more death physically. Eternal life is waiting for us. And that's what we're looking forward to. What a blessed expectation. Now, since we're not there yet, we need to work out our salvation, as Paul put it in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying work out, make up some plan of salvation. God has already given it, that to us. And we read that earlier, or quoted it, where Jesus said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That plan of salvation is laid out for us in God's word. We can't make up something different. But as we become saved, as we're baptized into Christ, then, then we need to pay attention to the guidelines in God's word and figure out, okay, how can I best live by those teachings and stand assured every minute of every day that I'm going to be in heaven with my Lord. I'm going to be there one day. I'm going to be there. Have you obeyed the gospel? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 7, it talks about that final day of judgment. It portrays it for us in vivid imagery. When the Lord Jesus is, is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you obeyed the gospel? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter told those Jews on Pentecost who asked him, what shall we do? He said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, he who believes and is baptized in response to hearing that gospel message will be saved. He who is not believed shall be condemned. Have you obeyed the gospel yet? Are you living in a way as to make your call and election sure? In other words, to be confident that heaven will be your eternal home. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. Pay even greater attention. Have greater focus to make your call and election your eternal salvation, your eternal home in heaven, that you will be there one day to make that sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we need to pay attention because we're not there yet. We need to 
stay focused in a determined way because we're not there yet. Jesus said in Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Are you living in consistent faithfulness before him? Not just saying I believe in him, but are you living the life of faithfulness each day? Are you living with your primary focus on making sure that you will be in heaven one day by the grace of God and the reward of God through Jesus Christ? You're not there yet. You're not there yet. Do you want to get there? Do you want to be there? It should be a no-brainer in answer to that question. So we ask, if you want to be there one day, how are you living right now? How are you living your life today? What are you doing? What purposeful focus and attention are you giving to your faithful, consistent, dedicated Christian life today? Are you living with your primary focus on making sure that you get to heaven? We're not there yet. So let's make sure that we do what God instructs us to do in his word so we can be sure that we will be there one day with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you need to come, if you need to be baptized, we're here to help you with that. If you need to study some more to understand better just what that means, we're here to study with you if you'll step forward and ask us or talk to us before you leave the building. If you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, we're here. If you'll step forward and ask us or talk to us before you leave the building. If we don't get to heaven, our life has been a failure. There's no other way to put it because we will have been giving up our home in heaven, our eternal life in heaven. If you need to come, be sure. If you need to come, be determined that you want to be in heaven. If you need to come, come right now as we stand together and sing.